ಪಾತಂಜಲಿಂಜಲೀರಾನಸ್ಮಿ ಐ ಪ್ರಾಸ್ಟ್ರೇಟ್ ವಿತ್ ಫೋಲ್ಡೆಡ್ ಹ್ಯಾಂಡ್ಸ್ ಬಿಫೋರ್ ಪತಂಜಲಿ ಹೂ ಬೆನಿಫಿಟೆಡ್ ಮ್ಯಾನ್ ಕೈಂಡ್ ಬೈ ಡೆಲಿವರಿಂಗ್ ಯೋಗ ಫಾರ್ ಮೈಂಡ್ ಗ್ರಾಮರ್ ಫಾರ್ ಸ್ಪೀಚ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಬೈ ರಿಮೂವಿಂಗ್ ಇಂಪ್ಯೂರಿಟೀಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಬಾಡಿ ಥ್ರೂ ಮೆಡಿಸಿನ್ ಸೊ ಇನ್ ದ ಲಾಸ್ಟ್ ಕ್ಲಾಸ್ ವಿ ವೆರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿಂಗ್ ದ ಥರ್ಟಿ ಥರ್ಡ್ ಸೂತ್ರ ಆಫ್ ದ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಆಫ್ ಪತಂಜಲಿ ಯೋಗ ಸೂತ್ರ which deals with the process of cleansing our mind so as to make us prepared for meditation that throughout the day we have to be busy with our day to day activities and naturally the question of getting influenced by the circumstances is inevitable then what's the way out sometimes we think that that however the day may pass that doesn't matter in the evening i come back from my work and i sit for the meditation but the meditation can never be fruitful unless i have prepared for it throughout the day if throughout the day i was having lot of agitations i was under stress strain my lot of negative feelings then it is impossible to just sit down and have a immediately a good qualitative meditation the meditation needs throughout the day its preparation its practice is needed throughout the day so for that what's the way out we cannot avoid the circumstances so what's the way out so that was actually very nicely spoken of in the 33rd sutra of the first chapter that was that at last class we dealt with that sutra in details maitri karuna mudita upekshana sukha dukha punya apunya vishayanam bhavanata chitta prasadanam so if you want to attain chitta prasada the placidity of your chitta of your mind even when you are in the midst of your actions what's the way out we have to just change the attitudes we are inevitable inevitably we are going to face this four type of circumstances when we are interacting with the world what are they sukha dukha punya apunya we may find someone rejoicing because of some achievements because of success because of some gains they're rejoicing and sometimes we may find that the those who are near me are in utter dejection utter misery sometimes i may find a very holy atmosphere with holy persons dwelling there and sometimes i may find that all untoward things are going on in front of me 
very crude, untoward, sinful actions are going on. So these are the four circumstances which we are bound to pass through in our day-to-day -day life. We may, we may meet a joyous person, we may meet a high, very miserable person, we may meet a very holy person, we may meet a very unholy, sinful person. So what should be your attitude? So that was spoken of, that if the way we react of that, we are quite uh, alert, then we can keep the mind placid, whatever the circumstances may be. So what should be the reaction? That whenever I see Sukha, I should always share the happiness through amity, through friendship. That's the Maitri for Sukha. And as we were saying, that that's the general attitude when we find our near and dear ones are happy. But can we really say from the bottom of my heart that it's the same happiness the same feeling of amity, friendship emanates from me when I see my enemy to be happy, when I see some my neighbor to be happy with whom I have no such relation. Sometimes we find that a type of rancor, jealousy is developing within. We cannot as if bear, forbear the happiness of our enemy. So here that caution lies that immediately we have to be alert. The price of purity is vigilance. If you have to keep your mind pure, you have to be vigilant. What's the vigilance? You have to nip the, means at the very beginning, the bud at the very, just when the bud of negative feeling is just arising, at that time you have to nip it. How? With some positive feeling. That immediately I have to visualize if my, rear, my near and dear one was happy, how would I have reacted? Let me try to impose that in this situation. The same type of feeling should come out from me. Let me try to feel happy, friendly, that try to have a sense of amity with whoever it may be who has happy. Let his joy, the happiness through a feeling of friendship. So that's the idea of Maitri. You will find it. That's the sportsmanship. After the terrible contest, one is going to win, one is going to lose. But you will find the spirit of sportsmanship lies there. That even after losing, the winner and the loser both will come and just they will embrace each other. We see it. Sometimes it happens. The one who has lost gets upset and may just uh, avoid any sort of such uh, friendship of amity. But that's not the true sportsmanship. We always see in all the games that whenever one has lost, some has won, that doesn't mean that immediately the one who has won will be joyous and the other will be dejected. The first thing, they come together and show that amity, that friendship. And it shouldn't be a ritual. The feeling should be there behind it. So that's the idea that Maitri for Sukha, Karuna for Dukkha. That whenever I find anyone, not only my near and dear one, even those who are not related to me, even those who are inimical towards me, if they are in some abject misery, instead of having that cruel 
delight, the tit for tat, he deserves it. Immediately we should be cautious. A sympathy should come. A mother, even she knows that the child is not uh, having, is not recoursing to the proper way of life, most probably has become drug addict. Can the mother throw away the child? As it is her child, whatever she may, the child may do, it unconditional love flows from her heart. She is always compassionate. That type of attitude has to be practiced. That instead of becoming judgmental, that this word has is used nowadays, that don't be judgmental. Whatever may be that person, whoever that may be, whatever may be the reason for his suffering, try to be compassionate, try to be empathetic, try to feel where the shoe pinches. Everyone, if you try to judge them by their appearance, we do a great mistake. We forget that when we say that such and such person is suffering for such and such reason, can I say confidently, that with full confidence that if I was in his or her situation, I would have performed better? I should actually thank God that I was most probably born in such a family, in such circumstances. My upbringing was such which resulted in the me which I am today, my identity which is today. If I was in, placed in the situation of the other person, can I with that full confidence say that I would have just gone, transcended all the hurdles and would be the same person as I am? In our lives, the circumstances play a great role in what we are. But generally what happens when we judge others, it is just the appearance which we judge. We don't see the background. If you see the background, if you see the entire situation, then the proper understanding comes. And wherever there is understanding, there is compassion. One of the Buddha's disciple, I will just, just so many incidences come to the mind and it actually reinforces the idea. One of the Buddha's disciple, when he became a monk, he was relating that when Buddha spoke of that compassion entails understanding. When you have proper understanding, compassion is bound to come. And immediately he related a wonderful experience in his childhood. As a small child, he was orphaned. Father, mother, both were dead. And he had a lot of younger siblings. He himself was young. He himself was just 12 years old and he had another three siblings who were still younger. And one day night, this youngest sister, she was just four or five years old. At night, at the date of night when all were sleeping, she, was, she suddenly started crying. And naturally, this lay monk, as a, the wood, at that time he was of course not a monk, this young boy, He's just tried to console him thinking that most probably because the, she has lost his parents, that's why she's crying. She, he tried his best to console, he couldn't console and that at last, he got irritated. That at the date of night, uh, with just uncontrollably she is just crying, disturbing all sleep and he spanked her, slapped her, 
the moment he slapped her immediately he realized that the skin is burning she is running down with temperature actually she is having fever and immediately that understanding came oh it's not just because that she is bit dejected that she is disturbing all she is really suffering from that fever and immediately the anger vanished and immediately that compassion came she is throughout the night he was just sitting beside her and trying to serve her in all possible ways so the small incidents in our life again and again we find this because of misunderstanding we immediately relate in a very negative way and the most the moment we have a proper understanding then we repent who oh, we never understood we just saw the surface and we were so judgmental so that's the idea when you see dukha don't be judgmental just relate through compassion it's a wonderful thing the more our ego barriers are less the more we relate in compassion with others i have a very first hand experience in india when i was in the narottam nagar arunachal pradesh uh, there we have schools for the tribals and to get the students as uh, from 30 years to another yes almost 30 years back uh, you know they were all first or second generation lear learners so the awareness of education was not there it is we who have to go to the village and fetch the students and we used to take some preliminary test thus whether they know the little alphabets numericals because by the time the school has become quite well known so the number of students who is to uh, uh, come for admission was quite big but they never used to come to the school the villages were quite remote we have to go to those villages and uh, the date was previously announced they will come to the circuit house of the government circuit house and there some preliminary test just the alphabets they have to write or the numericals they have to write just to see some basic knowledge they have for the first time when i went to take such test i had no experience all the children came to the all the children came to the circuit house we gave them the paper the pen the pencil and they started writing the alphabets and suddenly one of the small one of the child one of this boy small boy just kept his uh, this uh, paper sheet and the pen aside and started crying most probably he was nervous because of that uh, environment where all the children are there giving some test she got bit, he got bit tensed and he started crying so we never bothered okay what to do uh, that he's crying someone went to console him but still he was crying and in no time within 5 minutes we saw a horrible thing ha happened all left their this exam sheets all chorusly they were crying all started crying together you know the children's ego boundaries are very diffused it's not there almost they very easily relate to the other emotion when they are playing if someone one child falls and starts crying you will find the others also start crying it may not be in the so called cultural society but if you go to the tribal where they are yet to be educated with the do's and don'ts the behaviorism they just are allowed to behave in the way the nature has equipped them you will find this wonderful thing they very easily relate to the others emotion 
the more we grow up, the more stronger is our ego, that empathy vanishes. We can never relate with others. Sri Ramakrishna used to give a wonderful example. He used to say, you know, what's our ego is like? It's just like a pot. Just think of an ocean, which boundless ocean of water. And now immerse a pot in that. The ocean water enters into the pot. And now you say this is the pot water. The boundary, the external boundary of the pot demarcates the same water of the ocean into the ocean water and the pot water. Anything outside is the water of the ocean and the same ocean water, which had no barricade, which had no boundaries, now becomes the water of the pot. The same in this non-dual consciousness because of this boundary of the ego becomes segregated. And the more we get segregated, the more our chance of relating to the others. Now, once the water in the pot is in the pot, the waves outside no more disturbs the water inside the pot, no more disturbs because the barrier is there. So we cannot relate to the other's suffering, other's feelings. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to say a very interesting thing. When Swami Turiyananda asked him as a wandering monk before the Chicago lecture, much before when Swamiji was yet, yet to go to America, he was a wandering monk in India. By chance, Turiyananda and Swami Vivekananda met. Turiyananda asked, what about your spiritual progress? Swami Vivekananda's reply was very, very significant. What he told was something wonderful. He told Haribhai, his nickname was Haribhai. So he told Haribhai, I understand nothing of your so-called conventional religion. But one thing I realize, my heart has grown. It really has become like a seismograph. It fills other suffering. It's a wonderful thing he's saying. Why I, told, why I told seismograph? When I went to Fiji, I have heard that in a way, Swami Vivekananda is ha having something to do with Fiji. I know how? In Swami Vivekananda's life, there's a wonderful incident. It was almost in his last days. He was in Belumat. So one day night, so another direct disciple, Swami Vigyananda, found that Swami Vivekananda is pacing up and down the veranda outside his room. Vigyananda went and asked, Swamiji, why uh, are you not uh, feeling, uh, uh, won't you sleep? Are you not uh, feeling sleepy? This is the sleeping hours, you are awake and you are just pacing up and down. And Swamiji to replied that somehow I'm feeling very agitated. Somehow I'm having a sense that some a great disaster has happened somewhere. It's in his life. I also read it. And the next day in the newspaper, uh, they found that in Fiji, there was a terrible earthquake and it has really created a disaster. Many lives, many people were uh, dead. A lot of uh, properties were damaged. And that news came next day morning. And Vigyanandaji told, that Swamiji somehow sent that something has happened and he was highly agitated. So that's the thing that when you grow spiritually, that ego boundaries falls off. Just like the small child, how nicely they related with each other. They relate with each other. The same thing that we become like that. That's why there's a Paramahansa is like a child. The ego boundaries fall off. Sometimes some of the incidences we cannot believe because 
we cannot relate to them because of our strong ego. In the life of Ramakrishna, there are some wonderful stories, incidents, I won't say story. There, you know, when he, once he, in Dakshineshwar, he was sitting on the bank of the Ganges and he saw that in the river, the two boatmen were quarreling among each other. And the quarrel intensified. And one of the boatmen got so agitated that he very hardly slapped on the back, on the back of the other boatman. And Ramakrishna shouted in pain. He was sitting in the, just on the bank of the river far away. He just saw it and shouted in pain. And his nephew came running and saw that there's on his, the Ramakrishna's back was as if became red. He asked that what has happened? He thought that, uh, that somebody has struck Ramakrishna himself. He told, see, these two boatmen were fighting. One struck the other. I felt as if he has struck me. He has just bitten me. It's almost unbelievable. We cannot believe because our ego boundaries are so strong. We cannot relate to these incidents. It happens. Even in the Christian, uh, what do you say that... Uh, uh, the mystics, there are so many mystics you, uh, that just thinking of the crucifixion of Jesus, just thinking of it, they think so intensely, they contemplate on it, they get the marks where, where all crucifixion, Jesus was crucified. They got there in their body those marks. It is all written in the spiritual history. So these things happen when our ego boundary falls off, we can really relate to others suffering. And it speaks of spiritual progress. So the more we are, the least we are judgmental, the more we don't allow the ego to come and stand between our, our relations, the more you will find that the love is flowing. When you will find when the child is most probably out of, uh, He's resident out of house. He's far away for education purpose. And something has happened to the child. So many times you will find mother immediately senses it. And the news comes later. The mother senses it. That love enables us to dissolve the ego boundary and relate to other in compassion. So that's the thing has been spoken of. Karuna for Dukkha. Mudita for Punya. As we were saying. That whenever I see a holy person, we should revere him, respect him. We say we do it, but generally we'll find it is limited only within the faith to which you belong, to the denomination which you belong. If anyone is of other faith, if anybody is from other denomination, immediately the reaction is, oh, it must be some sort of humbugism, hypocrisy. And that's how we harm ourselves by trying to find fault in others and we culture those negative attributes but what we attribute to others that actually we culture and we degrade ourselves so try to have that sense of reverence whenever you see holiness in others and try to see goodness in others and be reverential to all and sometimes it is almost impossible some may behave in such a crude way some that it is almost impossible to see any goodness in it in that person we see palpably 
at that time the best way is to be indifferent as i have not seen neither to hate it here also i shouldn't be judgmental i shouldn't be judgmental and start judging that person i have as if not seen i'm totally indifferent to it so we should always remember that hatred is a negative attraction the thing you like the thing you love you think of it very intensely and the thing you hate most probably you think more intensely though with a negative attitude negative feeling but the thought of that person is more intense and thus hatred actually ingrains negative traits in our in our mind in the subconscious mind they became our sanskaras the more we hit we will find that the more we start behaving the way the other person the person whom i hit my behavior also gradually transforms to that i also start behaving that way in politics it always happens the always you will find the one who is in opposition is constantly just constantly censoring the one who is ruling and when he wins and goes to that position the same thing you will find they are doing the whoever goes there that in bengali they say the one who the whoever goes to lanka becomes ravana so that's the result of fault finding you actually culture actually you also uh, develop those traits when you are just constantly dwelling in the negative so those are the things in a spiritual sense where it's very harmful so we have to be very careful and if once this becomes habitual that we can have a sense of amity whenever we see happiness compassion whenever we see misery a reverential attitude for all in general and of course for the holy ones and indifference to anything which is negative then we will find that even in spite of the fact that we have to interact with the world we can maintain that placidity of our chitta of our mind and then i have taken sufficient preparation for my meditation now you will find the meditation is qualitative you can meditate now with a very peaceful mind because you have prepared yourself for it so that's the thing which we are studying in the last class the 33rd sutra so in the now we are almost in the end of this first chapter because from the 50 uh, uh, 40th to the 51st sutras the last the sutras we have already studied when we were studying the 17 to 22nd sutra that samadhi in general was actually defined from 17 to 22 and the details of it are actually explained from 40 to the 51st sutra and that we actually referred when we were studying that so we won't be studying it now so just a few more sutras where after that is first chapter will be over the first chapter will be over with the preparation of cleansing the mind uh, before going to the real spiritual practice first we have to cleanse the mind make it placid there are many ways first this change of attitudinal this changes the attitudinal correction the next we can take the help of our breath we will find that the breath is extremely related to our psyche to our uh, our physics to our health as well as to our psyche when i am mentally agitated i will find that my breath has become extremely irregular and shallow 
when i am calm composed relaxed i will find my breath is deep i am breathing deeply and it's rhythmic so we can just when i am agitated i find it so difficult to control the mind i can take the help of the breath because they are so related the, the when the with the psyche if the psyche is calm the breath becomes regular similarly by consciously controlling the breath i can to certain extent calm down my psyche so that's the thing uh, which is spoken of in the next sutra it's a very preliminary pranayama where inhalation has not been spoken of at all they are saying that exhale retain for that for some time that after exhaling uh, just stop don't forcefully stop retain that uh, after exhaling there should be the restraining of the breath for some time it's a natural and then automatically the breathing happens because i i cannot simply breathe out and uh, uh, restrict from breathing immediately after some time the breathing in happens so the sutra is like that let us first go to the sutra and then we will go to the discussion of it so i will share the screen so that you can also refer to the sutra प्रच्छर्धन विधारणाभ्याम वा प्राणस्य सो दिस इज द सूत्र द 34th सूत्र सो बाय एक्झेलिंग प्रच्छर्धन मींस एक्झेलिंग एंड विधारण मींस रेस्ट्रेनिंग एंड रेस्ट्रेनिंग ऑफ ब्रेथ आई कैन काम डाउन द माइंड सो देयर आर फ्यू प्रैक्टिसेस द फर्स्ट हैज ऑलरेडी बीन स्पोकन ऑफ इन द 33rd नाउ द सेकंड सो बाय एक्झेलिंग सो व्हाट एक्चुअली मींस so practicing breathing only without attending to settle the mind would never result in calmness so we to certain extent though we are agitated restless when i sit and think of doing pranayama to certain extent first i should calm down the mind don't do pranayama with the agitated mind then the mind will become more agitated just first cool down a bit relax a bit and then start practicing this breathing technique which has been spoken so in fact if pranayama is practiced without meditation this should go hand in hand they should be complementary then instead the mind instead of becoming calm would become more agitated so whenever i am thinking of pranayama to certain extent i should first think of calming down the mind that when i am uh doing the pranayama i should be very cautious that my mind is not uh roaming about is not agitated <clears throat> to certain extent i am just keeping the mind focused on the breath instead of allowing it to uh get distracted in various thoughts so in the breath i keep it fixed and that's how the mind gets settled in one ekavritti and that is the breath i am aware of my breath in that one vritti in that one uh, thought of breath my mind gets settled <coughs> so that's how we calm down the mind and we can take help of mantra the best is taking help of omkar so first the effort should be to exhale slowly 
which should be done with the movement of the abdominal muscles only. This breathing uh, exercise, we should be very cautious. Whenever we are breathing in, here the question of breathing in has not been mentioned, but our chest, it is the breathing in is always through the chest. The chest should just as if uh, expand while breathing in. While breathing out, the effort should never be from the chest. You should feel as if the abdominal muscles are being squeezed. It is going down. It is going, it is squeezing down. And then you exhale. Otherwise, unnecessarily, you will be creating a pressure in your thoracic region in the heart that may prove to be harmful. So it is always exhalation should be done for the movement of the abdominal muscles only. When you are pressing in the abdomen, your diaphragm moves up and that squeezes the lungs and helps in your exhalation. And not only that, that the, even the body toxins that actually uh, makes the lung bit, uh, that unnecessary fluid gets accumulated there. Just like a sponge, it enables the diaphragm, the squeezing, the uh, raising up of the diaphragm enables the lungs to be squeezed like a sponge and get removed and remove all the toxins. So this actually has some therapeutic effect also, apart from coming down the mind. So when I'm exhaling, it has to be done with the abdominal muscles. And then the effort should be to keep the body still and relaxed. So when I shouldn't do it very violent, very violently, that when I'm trying to uh, squeeze my abdominal muscles and my entire body gets uh, agitated, <clears throat> then the, you won't get the benefit of the pranayama. So the body should be relaxed and still, breathe out slowly, and that should be the help of the abdominal muscles. And then now some visualization to keep the mind also concentrated. Some visualization, visualization will be highly helpful. So what's the visualization when you're exhaling should be? Visualize that the ego is disentangling itself from the body. That you are seated in the heart, you are something different from the body. Your entity sitting in the heart is something totally is totally dis dis detached from the body. You're just the witness sitting there. So disentangle from the body or ego, the feeling of self in the core of your heart is merging into the wordless, thoughtless state of Om. So just when you're breathing out mentally, go on repeating Om. So the Om has these three syllables, A, U, M. And it ends, it merges in that the wordless, the soundless state. Just like the sound of a gong. The sound of the gong you will find gradually merges into the soundless state. There's like that, like the sound of the gong, the omkara, which you are pronouncing mentally is gradually merging. And with that, your mind, along with the merging of the omkara, your mind is also becoming thoughtless, vacant. You have to visualize that, that your ego is getting disentangled from your body and the omkara is merging in that wordless, thoughtless state. And then automatically after you exhale, the breath gets restrained. Even when we are breathing normally, there is a pause between the cycles of breath. There's a pause. So don't force. 
allow that pause, but be aware, be aware of that pause. So restraining the breath, remain for a while in that vacant state of mind. So when that pause is there, after the exhalation, at that time also continue with that visualization of the thoughtless state of the Omkara. That the Omkara, while exhaling, went to that thoughtless, wordless state. It continues in the, uh, what you say, in the state, when you are restraining your breath, at that time also it is continuing. And then automatically when you inhale, when you're inhaling, then don't pronounce Om. Because we will just uh, uh, come to that. Uh, why? Uh, because it, does, it is not very beneficial when you're trying to calm down the mind. But keep the mind vacant even when uh, you are breathing in. Now again, when you're breathing out, again start that mentally pronouncing Om. And with your breath, gradually it is going to that wordless, soundless, uh, wordless, thoughtless state. Restrain, maintain that thoughtless state while breathing in, which happens automatically. Again, let there be, there be no thoughts. And then again, when you're exhaling, then again, repeat that Omkara. So this Omkara continues, uh, starts with the exhalation and continues in the vacant state as well as in the, uh, in the, uh, at the time of inhalation. So at the time of exhalation, the entire volume of internal air should not be forced out. Don't force it out. Let there be some residual air uh, remaining in your lungs and then go to that state of restraint. The exhalation should be reduced and passed onto the retention. When with practice, it can be continued for a long period of time without interruption, then the mind gets settled down without any fluctuation. So it's a very preliminary practice, but very, very effective, which has been spoken of in the Yoga Sutra. Now we have so many pranayams nowadays, whenever we hear of yoga, of asana pranayama, you will find in Patanjali Yoga Sutra, because all the sophisticated pranayamas has not been spoken of at all. It's a very preliminary practices of asana, they speak only to be relaxed and keep the spine straight, nothing else, so that you can sit long in meditation. All those asanas, pranayamas, which we know now, came from Hatha Yoga, which is not actually the Patanjali Yoga. It came much later. That has some therapeutic effect. But for meditation, this much is sufficient. There are some other pranayamas which will be spoken of, but they're also very simple. When we come to the Ashtanga Yoga, they will, spoken, will be spoken of. This is not even the proper pranayama. It is just to calm down the mind. Why? Now the question is why we shouldn't try to pronounce Om when we are inhaling. So in this method, there is no effort to take in the breath, which will take place naturally, but it should be watched that the mind continues to remain vacant at that time also. So breathing in happens naturally, but only thing we should be alert that the mind is vacant. It shouldn't break down to thoughts or even it shouldn't pronounce Om. So there is no reference to inhalation in this sutra because of the following reasons. The, visual, the visualization that the ego is disentangling itself from the body and the feeling of the self in the core of the heart to be merging into the wordless, thoughtless state of Om is not possible during inhalation. You will find 
that when it is not that effective during inhalation you cannot do that the reason is there there is a physiological reason that you know that the parasympathetic nervous system it is a proven fact that in biology they call it vagal tone the vagal tone improves with the activation of the parasympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system gets activated at the time of exhalation so the nerves get relaxed when you're exhaling and the mind gets calmed down only at the, when you are exhaling which doesn't happen at the time of inhalation actually just the opposite happens it is at the time of inhalation the heart rate increases that is in biological term they call it tachycardia and the heart rate slows down during exhalation this bradycardia that slows down with the, when the parasympathetic nervous system gets activated the nerves gets relaxed and the heart rate also slows down so the exhalation is very important for calming down the mind that very slow gradual exhalation calms down the mind because of its relation its relation to the this physiological as, aspect of it it calms down the relaxes the nerve it slows the heart slows down the heart rate and naturally it calms down your mind and you feel more relaxed so this can be made effective with the visualization of omkara chanting of omkara and that also as if it is gradually merging to the wordless state thoughtless state which is continued in the state of the retention breathing continue so this breathing practice can prove to be quite effective in calming down the mind before that when i sit for meditation immediately i shouldn't start my meditation process immediately we should take care of this preparatory stages there are so many preparatory stages first when i am dealing with the society that the 33rd sutra spoke of now when i have already sat for meditation first i can do this breathing practice for a time being before entering to the process of meditation so this this is one of the ways of coming down the mind the next sutra speaks of another process of cleansing the mind there are so many ways which the yoga sutra speaks of these all preliminary practices once you uh, as per your temperament you can adopt one or many as per your as you wish may this all the all these practices also you can adopt at different times as per the different circumstances so they have given you a choice of this varied processes of coming down the mind so in the next process is this is again very interesting vishayavati va pravritti utpanna manasa sthiti nibandhini this sanskrit is very technical but actually what is speaking is very important very very interesting va means or there is another process that there are so many processes is another process of coming down the mind that the word va means alternative or so what is the another process that's this and by another form of concentration from which is generated this word utpanna means generated what is it extraordinary sense perceptions vishayavati pravritti extraordinary sense perceptions we will come to it which enables one to develop perseverance sthiti nivandhani sthiti nivandhani means perseverance you develop some super sensory uh, perceptions by doing some 
type some uh, meditation on particular part of your bodies you just concentrate on particular part of your body and if you can do it effectively some super sensory perceptions will develop and that will help you to uh, have a very uh, what do you say that uh, strong resolution for your meditation you get some conviction that this is a, this what has been spoken of in the yoga is going to take effect at the very beginning with these practices when you start getting the results immediately it uh, gives you that belief gives you that conviction that yes further if i proceed whatever has been told that also the results of it is also waiting for me so here in the this commentary they have mentioned they have explained vyasa have explained a few meditations which results in some extrasensory perceptions vyasa has mentioned that if you continue to meditate on the tip of the nose you will find if you just look at swami vivekananda's meditative posture his eyes are not fully closed it is as if focusing on the tip of the nose if you continue to do that for a few days and if it's quite effective that you can keep your mind fixed in the tip of the nose then you will get super sensory smell so though there is no incense stick you may feel that the room is very fragrant so very nice fragrance you may smell if you can meditate on the tip of the nose for quite some time on the tip of the tongue if you can just concentrate if you can keep your mind fixed perseveringly for a few days you develop some super sensory test though you are not testing something you may feel some very wonderful test that your tongue is as if along with the saliva there is some wonderful test you just uh, sense if you meditate on the tip of the tongue if you meditate on the middle of the tongue that that three portions as the tip the middle the root means uh, the, the tongue near the vocal cord is the root of the tongue so the middle of the tongue if you meditate perseveringly you get a sensation of super sensory touch that though the wind is not blowing you will feel as if some uh, wind is as if flowing and touching you so that type of super sensory uh, touch you develop when you meditate on the middle of the tongue by the root of the tongue if you go to the near the vocal cord the root of the tongue you get super sensory sound some celestial sound some very uh, uh, what you say ethereal sound you can hear and if you can if you meditate it on the palate you get some super sensory sight visions so this the awakening of this higher perception stabilizes the mind firmly why it stabilizes we will try to understand it removes the doubts and motivates for acquiring spiritual knowledge through concentration so the first thing the doubts get uh, resolved why it they removed why that even with a little practice when you get these type of super sensory perceptions immediately that feeling comes that all the stages which has been spoken of in the yoga ultimately leading to the liberation it must be valid because at the very beginning with this little practice i am getting all this super sensory perceptions now it this type of super sensory perceptions uh, we shouldn't be just uh, uh, obsessed by them it has some 
uh, a really uh, what is a wonderful effect once you start getting it the first effect that you will find that your uh, clinging to the senses is falling off why it happens you know this uh, we have already studied in the 15th sutra in this chapter this drishtra anusravika vishaya this vitrishnaya vashikara sangya vairagya that just to have that whatever you have seen whatever you have heard of to have abject dislike for those things is the uh, perfect renunciation where you have really vashikara you have gained full control over yourself how it happens when you get the supersensory perceptions that immediately that conviction comes that whatever this the external world is nothing but the smell taste touch sound sight whatever you are enjoying these five perceptions intermingle together to give you the sense of this external world at present when i see something beautiful when i see something enchanting i attribute all the good qualities to that person i think it is a substance in that person that it is the that person who is beautiful it is that food that is delicious but once you get this supersensory perceptions immediately the conviction comes all the perceptions are from out within from within to without they are all projections there is no substance of uh, there is no all this uh, what you say this sensual perceptions any substance of the sensual perceptions outside it is we who has the way we react accordingly this perceptions has been created by the mind and what happens the other things the external world becomes something uh, what you say uh, unensnaring you they cannot snare you and even in the modern uh, it's this thing sometimes may appear to be uh, some uh, very mystical but the with the development of the modern science you, uh, we we can re- actually relate to all those sutras you know uh, just to give a negative example the psychopaths have no emotions sometimes it it can be a very serious pathological condition you know why it happens very interesting uh, those who have very severe this uh, this those are very severe this psychopathological problems for them what may happen you know one day morning they wake up and they miss just looking at the mother they may say you look like my mother but you are not my mother it's a those who are in the medical profession they know it's a very uh, severe medical condition they may look at others they, why it happens you know in our brain there are so many piecemeal perceptions happening i see, when i'm seeing the person there are i seeing his uh, take his skin color at one place his form at one place not only that that when i see that person the emotion that uh, i have have for him that also is actually emanated at a particular center of the brain and they all intermingle to give you a sense of wholeness and if you know oh, this is the person whom i love because this is the building there are so many buildings but when you come near your own house immediately you feel a wonderful feeling oh this is my house that house which is made of brick with that your emotion which is generated from your brain 
that gets intermingled and gives you a feeling, oh, my house, beautiful house. Not only person, even something like house, something like your mobile phone, with everything our emotions gets intermingled. For the psychopath, what happens? The emotion gets cut off from their perceptions. So they feel, you're looking like my mother, but as the emotion is not building up, they say, but you are not my mother. You are somehow uh, an imposter. You're just uh, posing as my mother to, uh, for some reason you want to uh, ditch me. You want to uh, cheat me. Actually, you're not my mother. So it's a very serious medical condition. What has happened? The emotion center has got separated from your perceptions, all centers. They all, this perception is a wonderful thing. It's not happening outside, it's all within. And now when through meditation you go, go to that state where you find that without smelling anything, just by meditating on a particular part of my body, I get the smell, I get the sense of taste. And then that conviction comes, the smell, taste, touch, sound, sight, which I attribute outside is actually a projection from within. There is no such substance outside. And here now the emotion gets disentangled from your perceptions, but in a positive way, in a sense of detachment. It's not that that's up in this life, always the opposite poles look alike. Very infrared light you cannot see, the very weak light. Again, ultraviolet light you cannot see. The ultraviolet light burns your skin. You get skin cancer because of that, but you cannot see that. Infrared light also I cannot see, it's very weak. Supersonic sound I cannot hear. Subsonic sound I cannot hear. Opposite poles look alike, but they are just opposite poles. So the psychopath has got disentangled his emotions from his perceptions, but that made him total, uh, what you say that lack of emotions, hard-hearted. But here what happens, that hard-heartedness happens within. That now I love, that self-love vanishes. That because now I find that everything is projection of mine, and then this here that the uh, empathy for the world doesn't diminish, that actually increases because along with that the ego starts vanishing. But what happens? The self 